All right, good morning. We're glad to see you here today. Welcome to Arise Baptist Church. I've been getting text after text, all the sick people today, so we can be thankful that they realized they were sick and stayed home to get well, so we don't have to uh, take it with us. I'm thankful that uh, we can be together today, though, those who are well enough to be here, and we'll pray for those who aren't. I was very encouraged. I had a good note from Katie Spencer yesterday, and uh, her white blood cell count is coming up, which is a positive thing, and she said, Lord willing, she'll be able to come to church next Sunday. So pray that that would happen, and she'd be able to do that. I know she's missed being here, and we're thankful for the Lord's continued uh, healing in her life, and uh, glad to have uh, the Hines back today. They were traveling this week at Joe's mother's funeral, was Friday, and so we want to be praying for their family and uh, remember them. Also, Brother Robert Bettis was telling me his mother passed away this past week as well. And uh, I know also Lisa New is out today. Uh, I believe it was her, it was a family member that passed away. I think it was a cousin uh, that passed away. And so she left town yesterday. An uncle, I'm sorry. Yes, I knew it was uncle or cousin passed away. So a number of uh, families that we want to remember in prayer this morning. And uh, I'm sure there are many other needs as well. But let's bow our heads and go to the Lord today. Ask Him to bless our service and help us. Father, we thank You for this day. We thank You that we can pray. And for those who knew Christ as their Savior, which each of these people we've just mentioned that passed, we believe knew You as their Savior. They had a testimony for You. We're thankful that we don't sorrow, or we sorrow, but we, we still have hope because of Jesus. We thank you for the resurrection that's promised to us because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And we look forward to being together with them one day in heaven for eternity. We know that this life is a vapor. It appears for a little time and then it vanishes away. Help us to keep our eyes on you and walk with you, not to be so caught up with the things of this world that we are unfaithful to do what you've called us to do and, and to be preparing for the next. Lord, we thank you for this opportunity to come together and worship you today, sing your praises, hear your word, be challenged by it. I pray that you'd take each thing that's done this morning and uh, you would use it for your honor and glory, uh, the music, the singing, the offerings, the time as we uh, remember uh, what Christ did for us on the cross as we uh, have the Lord's table together this morning. Lord, I pray for those who are serving in many different ways this morning. Strengthen them and encourage them. And I pray for those who are sick. Lord, many are ill today. I pray for strength and for healing for them. And Lord, for your comfort for those who have lost their loved ones. Lord, we thank you for the blessing it is to be your children. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. O oh God, thou art my God. Early will I seek thee. My soul thirsted for thee. My flesh longeth for thee in a dry and thirsty land where no water is. To see thy power and thy glory as so as I have seen thee in the sanctuary. Because thy loving kindness is better than life, my lips shall praise thee. Thus will I bless thee while I live. I will lift up my hands in thy name. My soul shall be satisfied as with marrow and fatness, and my mouth shall praise thee with joyful lips. When I remember thee upon my bed and meditate on thee in the night watches, because thou hast been my help, therefore in the shadow of thy wings will I rejoice. 
My soul followeth hard after thee. Thy right hand upholdeth me. But those that seek my soul to destroy it shall go into the lower parts of the earth. They shall fall by the sword. They shall be a portion for foxes. But the king shall rejoice in God. Every one that sweareth by him shall glory. But the mouth of them that speak lies shall be stopped. Amen. Great singing this morning. You're singing that song better each and every week. Thankful for the great love of Christ to us and uh, for His death on the cross, burial and resurrection. We are, uh, there was an announcement on the screen this morning just to reiterate it. Uh, we'd like to get all the boys and girls and teenagers that are going to camp this summer. Make sure you get a registration form today. Uh, there will be some handed out. You can get one after the service or you can get one in youth group tonight. And uh, if you can register by March 1st, uh, so if you can bring it by next Sunday, that'll get you in in plenty of time. Then you will get the discount for camp, so that'll be a, a blessing for you and your parents and all that good stuff. We're going to dismiss our boys and girls out now for junior church, and uh, they're heading out the door with Josh and Anna. Thankful for them. Let's take our Bibles, turn to the book of Ephesians this morning. book of Ephesians, and our theme this year of Walk Worthy... I want to incorporate uh, some of those areas that we need to walk worthy in. And uh, I want to take one this week and speak about marriage and about relationships. Ephesians chapter 5 has a lot to say about this. And uh, hopefully we can be challenged together by God's Word. I know I'm challenged every time I read this passage and think through it. And uh, we'll get back to Colossians here in a few weeks. I'm thankful for what Christ has done for us. That's really the basis for why we are to walk worthy of Him is based upon what Christ has done for us on the cross and dying for our sin. And as, of course, we have the banners on the wall of walking worthy as we bear fruit, as we are strengthened with all power by His might, as we give thanks, as we grow in the knowledge of God, this relationship with God. So when it comes to human relationships... Here we read about the relationship between husband and wife and how that relationship is to be a, is a picture or should be a picture of God's relationship or Christ's relationship with His church. And yet many times in marriage, this is not the picture that it is and yet it should be. This is what we're striving towards. And so I hope we'll be challenged as we think about this this morning. Ephesians chapter 5, and I'll begin reading in verse number 22, and I know this is the lady's favorite verse in the whole Bible, and it says, Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. Verse 23, For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands, in everything, husbands, love your wives. Even as Christ also has loved the church and gave Himself for it, that He might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the Word, that He might present it to Himself, a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. For no man ever yet hated his own flesh, but nourisheth 
and cherisheth it even as the Lord, the church. We'll come back later maybe and read a few more verses to finish out the chapter. This week, probably if you're uh, married, you may have done something for Valentine's Day. I gave all the men a heads up last Sunday so they could prepare. So ladies, if they forgot, I'm sorry. Tell them they need to go back and listen to last week's message again. We can help them out and listen again today. But I'm thankful for an opportunity. Somebody said this week, what is Valentine's Day? Is it forced affection? You know, are we not supposed to show love all the time? And of course we are. But often this is a time of year when people think about this. And I think it will be helpful for us to see what God's Word has to say about it. I remember when I first met my wife, we met working at summer camp together. And I was a counselor and so was she. And, and we met the first night of staff training. We looked over all the other heads of everybody else and our eyes met. And uh, we were the only two heads poking up above the crown. And it's been that way ever since pretty much. And, and uh, the rest, as they say, is history, right? I, re I remember the day that we got married and we stood on the platform with all of our you know, bridesmaids and groomsmen and the the preacher, although you couldn't see the preacher, we covered him up pretty well. All you could hear was this voice from behind this big wall that we made, and, and he was back there talking, and, and we could see him, but nobody else could. And uh, he, he made some comments about that, feeling like he was in a tall forest with trees around him and things like that. And, and uh, he also made another comment, because when he was giving us our vows, you know, when he says, do you, William, take this woman to be your lawfully wedded wife to have and to hold to love and to cherish from this day forward and all those things and we're saying those vows back and forth to each other I remember feeling the weight of responsibility coming heavy on my shoulders and uh, I remember kind of having big eyes as I made those promises thinking I'm not I mean I think I'm ready to make these promises but am I really ready to make good on these promises these are some really big things that I'm promising to do for the rest of her life or my life. I heard one lady say, you know, she never thought about divorce, but she had thought about murder a few times. And uh, that's not appropriate either, we understand. But I remember that special day when we made those vows to each other and feeling that heavy weight of responsibility. And it's one thing to talk about getting married. It's Another thing even to get engaged, but there's something that happens there on that day when you make those vows to each other and you make those promises that now becomes very real. But even as real as it was on June the 18th, 2005 when we got married, it's become a lot more real now, almost 15 years later, because uh, we've spent a lot more time together. We've grown a lot more together in our relationship and we've been through a lot more things together as well. And any of you that have been in a relationship for any amount of time knows that relationships have ups and they have downs. They have good days and they have bad days. They have days when it feels like everything's great and other days when it feels like it's all over. Relationships go this way and yet God's Word has, some, has uh, instruction for us of how we are to live in a way that's pleasing to Him. Marriage truly is a wonderful thing. Now, we live in a culture today that in many ways is devaluing marriage. You know, it's almost uh, seen to be as a good thing to spend time with somebody and live with somebody for a long time to see if you're compatible before getting married to them. That's considered uh, wise counsel, and yet 
That is clearly the wisdom of this world and not the wisdom which is from above. It's not God's wisdom. It's not God's plan. Even today, it's seen to be acceptable. If you don't like the marriage you're in, you can just get out of it and exchange it for another one. And that's seen as an okay thing. And yet, that's not what the Bible teaches either. The Bible has a lot to say about this. Why? Because marriage was not man's idea. It wasn't woman's idea either. It was God's idea. In fact, it's the very first relationship, human relationship, that God created. It starts clear back in the Garden of Eden. Marriage was around before the church was around. Marriage was around before there was government. Marriage was around before there was any other human relationship. He created two human beings, man and woman, and He made them to be husband and wife. Marriage is a wonderful thing, but I would also say marriage can be a very difficult thing because Satan loves to take God's very best things and tear them down. Church should be a wonderful thing, right? Church should be a blessed place to come, and yet for many people, church is not a wonderful thing at all. I talk to people, well, I won't ever go to church. I'd rather watch church on TV because I don't want to have to put myself through those things at church anymore. Why is that? Is it because church is bad? No, it's because people and their sin have taken good things and messed them up. Same thing happens in marriage. If you're here this morning, you have a great marriage, it's only by the grace of God. We can't go out of here patting ourselves on the back and say, well, look at me, I'm just a great husband. Just look over at your wife, she'll remind you <laughs> that you have some growth to do, okay? Ladies, of course, the same thing. They can't go out and say, well, look at me, I've got it all together, I'm perfect. No, we know we're not. Somebody said there, there's no such thing as a perfect church. And if there was, if, if you were to join it, it would no longer be perfect anymore, right? No such thing as a perfect marriage. Why? Because it's made up of two fallen people. Sin messes it up. Sin is, is breaking God's law. And it messes up that relationship between a husband and a wife. And yet, God has very high, deal, high ideals for a marriage. He says it should represent the relationship between Christ and His church. He even says that men are the head, like Christ is the head of the church. Now, I'm thankful that God says that, but that means that men, we're supposed to be acting like Jesus in our marriage. Say, wow, that's a pretty high standard. Yes, it's the highest standard that you could have. There's a lot to challenge our thinking this morning, and I hope that whether this is the first time you've ever heard a message from Ephesians 5 or you've heard lots and lots, too many to count, that you'll reevaluate your life according to the Word of God and say, God, this morning, help me to line myself up with your Word. Not to try to make excuses for where I'm at, not to try to make, uh, ask questions and say, well, I'm not willing to do what God wants me to do. No, I'm willing to do what God wants me to do. And I know there are other people here this morning, like my boys, for example, they're not married. Others of you this morning maybe have been married and aren't currently. Others would really like to get married, but you're not at this point. Listen to God's word this morning and let it challenge you as well. 
This isn't just for the married people this morning. This is for everybody because it's the Word of God. And God's Word can teach and instruct and help you as well this morning. Because ultimately, and you'll see this by the end, I hope, this all comes back to our relationship with God. A good marriage is only as good as our relationship with God. And and we'll see that this morning. But it begins, we read verse 22, it says, Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands. That is a biblical idea that a wife should submit to her husband. Not a popular idea in our culture today, but it is the biblical order of things. And ladies, hang on, because I think by the time we get to the end of the message this morning, you'll see why it's very beneficial for you to be submissive to your husband. In fact, it's a blessing that God has given you to be able to do that. So wives are to submit. Ladies must be looking for a husband that they can submit to as unto the Lord. If you're not married, you should only find a husband that you could submit to as unto the Lord. Don't find a husband that you have to be the spiritual leader for him. Make sure he's the spiritual leader for you because according to God's word, you have to submit to him as unto the Lord. So if you're going to do that, make sure you can find a husband that's worthy of submitting to as unto the Lord. But ladies, if you already have a husband, guess what? You can't return him on Amazon, you know, for free, even though you'd like to send out, get that packing slip. They'll put it in the mail. You just put them in a box, slap that sticker on front and The UPS man will take all your problems away. No, it doesn't work like that because the Bible teaches that uh, when a man and woman are joined together, it says, what God hath joined together, let not man put asunder. This is God's plan. It's God's thing. So if God has put this together, then we want to make it work according to His plan and according to His order of things. Not try to get out of our responsibility, but rather say, how can I take the responsibility that I've been given? Even if my situation's not perfect, even if I brought a lot of baggage into this situation, but how can I live my life from this point forward to please God? You can't go and change the past. The past is what it is. But we can all make a decision to say, no matter where I'm at spiritually, I can begin from today and go forward and serve God. It's the same thing when it comes to trusting Christ as your Savior. You can't go back and change your past. God can forgive you for your past. But don't allow your past to keep you from serving God in the future. Say, God, today, I'm going to begin right here, right now, and I'm going to be faithful to you. Okay, so this message this morning, not picking on anybody. If you feel picked on, it's not my intention. But it is my intention to challenge you with God's word this morning so that you would say, you know what, whatever's in the past, it is but I'm going to commit to serve God faithfully from here forward. I know these are personal things. These touch on very uh, intimate things in our hearts and our lives. But God's Word wants to challenge us about that. Wives are to submit. This is something that they are doing as unto the Lord. Now, when we read about submission in Scripture, biblical submission, this is always a choice made in complete freedom. Just like in salvation, when we submit ourselves to the Word of God and to the work of Christ in our lives, this is a choice made of free will. In other words, men, that doesn't mean you get to put your wife in a headlock and force her to submit. No, it's not putting her in a submission hold. Yeah, no, this is not wrestling, okay? This is marriage. Sometimes it looks more like wrestling than marriage. But submission is something that ought to be the wife choosing to do it out of her 
own free will with the desire to please the Lord. God doesn't want your mindless submission or joyless compliance. God wants us to fully trust in Him and agree with Him. When God works in your heart and He convicts you of sin, it's not God trying to force you to do something. It's God trying to lovingly lead you into an obedient relationship with Him. And it's not because God wants to harm you. It's because He wants to help you. God doesn't desire to hurt you. God desires to help you and give you hope and give you a wonderful future. So when God gives us instruction in His Word, we must take it as such. And men, as your wife is submitting to you, remember, you're not really the king. There's only one king of kings and Lord of lords. So even as she's submitting to you, she's doing it as unto the Lord. As unto the Lord. And ladies, that's an encouragement to you as well when you're submitting to your husband. It's not because he's always so deserving of it and he's just a perfect husband. It's because you're doing it as service to the Lord. You're doing it as service to the Lord. All right, I got the portion about the ladies out of the way here, so now we can just really hammer the men. No, men, I don't want you to feel picked on this morning, but I do think as you read through this passage, and, and, and we'll bring it back and the ladies will see their part at the end of this, I think how it all works together for the glory of God, and it's a beautiful thing. But I do think it's extremely important that as we understand this passage that men take a spiritual lead in their home. It's not a, a dictatorship. It's not, you know, forcing somebody against their will. None of that stuff. But rather to take their biblical responsibility seriously to help lead their wives spiritually as God would have them to do. See, in my experience, when men become the spiritual leaders that they should, generally speaking, ladies find it much easier to follow that kind of leadership. I realize that we can always find exceptions to that. But generally speaking, when men are being the godly spiritual examples that they should, it makes it a lot easier for the ladies to follow. I, I even saw this played out when I was a youth pastor. A couple of years ago, I was taking a bunch of teenagers to camp, and, and we were getting ready to go on the big bus. We had rented a big coach-style bus. I think we had 40 or 50 kids going with us to camp. And I was trying to come up with a creative way to, and we were, oh, we were going to spend about 14 hours on that bus together, by the way. And I, I wanted some creative discipline on the bus so I didn't have to be the bad guy. And it's amazing. You can do all kinds of things. You can assign seats to people. But this was one of those really nice buses, and it had a bathroom in the back of the bus. And it was just, that was very fascinating to the junior high boys. Those boys were going to the bathroom like every 30 minutes. It just was cool to them that they got to go to the bathroom while they were driving down the road. It was just a novel concept. So our original plan was we'll have the boys sit in the front of the bus and the girls sit in the back of the bus. It's something about when boys get in the back of the bus, they're just problems. I don't know what it is. So we put all the young men in the front of the bus, and then my wife and I, and we had some other youth workers and our children, we kind of set up camp in the middle of the bus, create that great dividing line, you know, and then the girls were in the back of the bus. But the problem was the boys kept trying to cross the line because, oh, I have to go to the bathroom, I have to go to the bathroom, I have to go to the bathroom. <laughs> so it was kind of a struggle that year. So the next year I said, we've got to have a better plan. We're still going to split everybody up. But this year we've got to have some more creative discipline. So... I, I made man cards for all the boys. And on the front it said, this is my man card. It's about the size of a driver's license. And they had to sign their name to it. And on the back, in fine print, it had all the rules of 
what they had to follow if they were going to be considered a man. You know, they had to be polite to the ladies. They had to hold the doors for the ladies. They couldn't be obnoxious and rude and, you know, cause problems if they were fighting with somebody else and, and uh, disobeying. All those things were not manly things. And so we had them each sign their card. We laminated their cards and, and, uh, and cut them out, and every guy had his man card. And then I carried a hole punch with me. And if you did something that was not befitting of a man, then you got your card punched. Some of the guys, by the end of the week, their card looked like Swiss cheese, you know. It, it was more holes than it was card. And I got some funny questions, too, along the way. One junior high boy, junior high boys had the best questions, by the way. They, they, they have the best ones because they're not afraid to ask what everyone else is thinking, right? And so one of the boys, he looks at me and he says, Pastor Will, if our whole card gets punched, like we lose the whole card, does that mean we're a woman? I said, no, it just proves you're still a little boy. And he kind of got big eyes, and he goes, oh. And then I got another question. These are real questions. This isn't just a preacher story. This really happened, okay? And then the next question I got was, well, why don't the girls need a woman card? And the boys were all thinking it. I know the junior high boys were going, yeah, that should be fair. Well, boys, what I found is when the men behave like men, the ladies find it a lot easier time to behave like a lady. It's just, just how it works. And I said, boys, if, if you'll do right, it'll make it a lot easier for the girls to do what they're supposed to be doing, and things will work a lot better. And sure enough, it did. We had the best week ever. Some of the boys did, in fact, get their whole card punched and lost and proved they still were boys and not men. Other boys were somewhere in the middle, and and then the boy that won, I was trying to come up with the best prize. You know, I had to give a prize to the one who had the most remaining man card at the end of the week. And I, I didn't want to give him a gun or a knife because even though that's what I would have probably given him, I thought some mother somewhere is going to complain that I'm giving away guns at church or something. And so I went to the store and I bought him one of those big green metal Stanley thermoses with the little cup that screws on the top. I thought that kind of represented manhood and hard work and, you know, being able to take care of yourself and keep the soup or the coffee in it or whatever. And, and that boy, he was so proud over the next long time at church, he'd bring that Stanley thermos with him every Sunday. <laughs> he had his Bible in one hand, his Stanley thermos in the other, and he'd carry that to church with him and he, he'd sip his, he usually had water in there or coffee or something. And he was so proud to show how manly he was with his Stanley thermos. But I did find that principle to generally hold true that when the men do what they're supposed to do, it makes it a lot easier for the ladies to do what they need to do. And here in this passage in Ephesians 5, there is a lot of instruction directed towards the men. And this is not picking on you men. This is just an opportunity for you to prove your manhood and that you're not a little boy this morning, okay? So let's see what the Bible says for the men to do. He says that... Uh, in verse 23, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. So as the wife is submitting to the husband, the husband need, or men, we need to be looking for a wife that we can lead spiritually, right? If she's not able to submit to you spiritually because you're not a spiritual leader, that's a problem. But if you're trying to be a spiritual leader and you've not 
married somebody yet, make sure you can find someone who will follow you spiritually, right? That's a good thing to put down on your top 10 list of things I'm looking for in a wife. If you're a young man that wants to please God, number one should be that she wants to please God as well. That's far more important than anything else. And men that have a wife, we need to lead them spiritually. We must point our wives towards Christ. Just like Christ is the head of the church and He is the Savior of the body, so we as men have the responsibility to lead, to love, and to point our wives towards Jesus Christ. Notice the purpose that He gives. Verse 25, start there again. Husbands, love your wives even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. He gives us in those last few words, gave himself for it, an idea of what he's talking about when he says to love your wife. Because sometimes as men, we, we tend to draw a really small box around that word love and we say, well, I'm loving. You know, I haven't, haven't done anything too bad lately. I at least come home. You know, I, I work hard. I put money in the bank. I'm not wasting it all. And yet the Bible actually has a very big definition and he helps us to understand it better of what this love is supposed to look like. The first thing he says here is that Christ gave himself for the church. This love is a sacrificial love, willing to give itself for somebody else, even realizing that you might not get anything in return. That's the kind of love Christ showed for His church, wasn't it? Christ died for all mankind. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. He knew when He died for all mankind, all men, women, boys and girls, that not all people would trust in Him. And yet He still loved them enough to die in their place. That's incredible love, isn't it, that God would show to us that He would die for those who would still reject Him. That's love. And this is the same kind of love that it says a man should have for his wife. This is a sacrificial love, willing to give ourselves for our wives. But he continues on in verse number 26 and really expands upon this idea of giving ourselves for our wives when he says that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of the water by the word that he might present it to himself a glorious church not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing but that it should be holy and without blemish. I think this answers the question why should I love my wife right? Why should I love her? Why should I give myself for her? Why should I sacrifice on her behalf? That seems like a a really big thing to do, and, and I'm sure there's some man this morning going, you don't know, Pastor, what a trial it is for me to do that. Okay, well, here's why. Here's why God wants us to do these things. He lists out for us, I see at least five different things right here in this passage that He tells us to do. He gives us the reason, verse 26, that He might sanctify it. The first is for the purpose of, of sanctification. What does it mean to sanctify something? Well, it means to be set apart. 
And it means to be set apart for a special purpose. In your house, after you go home and eat lunch today, hopefully you will take some time to sanctify your, your dishes, right? You're going to clean them up. That's cleansing. That's the next thing. But then you're going to set them apart. You're going to put them in a special place. You're not going to take those dishes after they've been washed and put them on the floor. You're not going to let the dog come and lick the dish and then say, well, that's good. We'll set that aside and we'll use it next time to eat. No, you're going to wash it. You're going to sanctify it. You're going to set it apart. God says to us men that we are to sanctify our wives. Christ sanctified the church, right? He set it apart unto Himself. He said, this is my church. I've died for my church. I'm going to live for my church. I'm going to take care of my body, my church. So men ought to love their wives and sanctify them as well. That's a high calling. That's a special, that's a very special relationship, a unique thing to say, For this one wife that God has given me, I'm going to sanctify her. I would challenge you men with this thought. Is your wife more Christ-like because she is married to you? And I mean this not that you forced her to be Christ-like because she can't stand you, so she's had to find Jesus because nobody else would help her. I mean, are you leading her to Christ so she has a closer relationship with Christ, not because out of fear and she has nowhere else to turn, but that's where you've led her. You've sanctified her. I think the biblical model here is, as we think about the Christ in the church, the church is more Christ-like because of what Christ has done for the church. So if we're going to follow the analogy, then my wife should be more like Jesus because of what I do for her. When you put it like that, boy, it raises the stakes, doesn't it? Say, wow. Often as a husband, sometimes we're content to, well, as long as I work, as long as I provide, as long as I do the things I thought I was supposed to do, then I can come home. I don't really have to do anything. It's her job to take care of the kids. It's her job to teach them God's Word. It's her job to make sure they're all ready for church. It's her job to get us up and going in the morning so we can get to service. It's her job to serve at church. That's what she does. She's helping the kids. And yes, she does do those things. And I'm thankful for a wife that does all those things. But it's not her job to lead out in those things. She shouldn't have to force me to get up and come to church on Sunday morning, right? Now, generally, that doesn't happen. It has happened a few times. (laughs) I really don't want to preach today. (laughs) Let's see if somebody else can do it. No, I need to be the spiritual leader for my home, not because I'm the pastor of this church, but because I'm married to this lady and I made promises to her before God that I was going to love, honor, and cherish her till death do us part. My wife ought to be closer to God because of me. He says we are to sanctify our wives. And then he says and that, he would, that he cleanses it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the Word. That whole verse tells us in order to be able to sanctify and cleanse, we need to be covering our wives with the Word of God. 
That means, men, we have a responsibility to be in God's Word, to know God's Word. The Bible says, study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the Word of truth. If I'm going to be the spiritual leader in my home that I need to be, I must be in this book. I must be in the Word of God and allowing it to fill my mind and fill my mouth and fill my attitudes and actions and everything I do so that they'll be pleasing to the Lord. Washing of water by the Word. Sometimes we can fall into the trap of trying to sanctify and cleansing our wives with our own wisdom and with our own might and our own energy and I'm going to force her and I'm going to take out the rough sandpaper that I am with my tongue and my attitudes and actions. I'm going to rub all of her rough edges off and I'm going to make her how she should be. No, the Bible says the way we sanctify and cleanse is with the washing of water by the Word. Let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly, it says in Ephesians, speaking yourselves and psalms and hymns and spiritual songs singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord I think the word of God should dwell richly in our homes and in our marriages it means men I think we have a responsibility to lead our wife to church to lead our family in devotions at home to take God's word and open it up now I know sometimes schedules are difficult you're here there everywhere things are going on Figure out a time and make it work. You can do it. We always find time to do the things that we want to do. And this is a vital thing in our life that we be the spiritual leaders. And we do that, first of all, by sanctifying and then cleansing our wives spiritually to help her draw closer to Christ. Notice then he continues on in verse 27. He says he's doing this that he might present it. He's doing this work in his church for the purpose of presenting it to himself holy, right? Without spot or blemish or any such thing. Am I, the way I treat my wife, what I say to her, how I lead God's word in my home, am I helping her to become more holy? Or am I expecting holiness out of her while I don't expect the same thing for me? I am to be helping my wife to grow in her holiness. And oh, verse 28 makes it very simple because sometimes we struggle with the big words, right? Sanctify, cleanse, make holy. So if you didn't understand that, he gives you verse 28. So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. I've never met a man who, when he was hungry, didn't go and get himself some food. My wife will say, well, honey, I, we're okay. I'll wait till I get home. No, I'm hungry. We're going to go find some food right now. We're going we're to take care of that, right? We're really good at not denying ourselves, right? <laughs> we always take care of ourselves. We are better at denying things for other people. That's why in verse 28 says, same way you take care of your own body. Remember, if you're married, you're in a one flesh relationship. She's part of your body. So you got to take care of her as well we come home from work we're tired guess what so is she kids are getting on our nerves they get on hers as well well there's a million things to take care of why is there clutter all over the place well you live in that house too right who's going to do the dishes who's going to take care of this who's going to take care of that 
You say, this sounds like a lot of work for the men. Remember what Christ did for us on the cross. Because that's the example, right? I realize he's setting a really high standard for us. He's making the standard himself. And we must be very careful as Christians not to let other things become our standard, right? The Bible cautions us against comparing ourselves by other people, right? Well, I'm better than he is. Hey, we're doing better than they are. Well, we're not having as many struggles as that couple over there. No, that's not our standard. Our standard is Jesus Christ. So every single one of us, it doesn't matter where we're at, low, high, in the middle somewhere, we all have something we can work on, right? And it's not because, well, this is just tough. Why did I get married in the first place? This is too much work. No, there's great benefits, and you'll see those in a few minutes. But he's challenging us with the importance as men of taking the spiritual leadership in our homes to fill our homes with the Word of God, to sanctify, to cleanse, to present it holy, to love our wives as much as we love ourselves. Then he says in verse 29, For no man ever yet hated his own flesh, but he nourisheth and cherisheth it even as the Lord the church. To nourish and to cherish. That means to give your body what it needs to grow, to nourish it, right? To take care of it, to provide the food that it needs. Spiritually speaking, what's our spiritual food that we need? Well, we grow by the Word of God. We grow as God's Holy Spirit takes His Word and works it into our hearts. So as we are to be leading our families towards Christ, and that means I need to be filling my home with the Word of God and helping to lead my family to the Word of God, and then walking in the Word of God myself, walking in obedience to what God has told me to do, to nourish it. And then he says to cherish it. Treat it as something very special, to love it, to hold on to it, to take care of it, to cherish it. We are to cherish our wives just like Christ cherishes the church. Does does the church always deserve it? No, because we're the church. Again, we aren't doing this because our wife deserves it. We're doing it because God tells us to do this, and it's what Christ has already done for us. Right? I love what the Bible says. We love Him, right? Because He first loved us. But God commended His love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. These commands to husbands and to wives are not predicated upon the obedience of the opposite spouse, right? This is just my obedience because this is what God tells me to do. And it's not a response to her or a response to him. It's a response to Jesus Christ and what he's done for me. So I can love my wife. I can point her towards Christ. I can do all those things. Why? Because Christ gives me the ability to obey him and do what he says to do. So sanctify, cleanse, present, holy, nourish, and cherish. Another passage I'd like you to turn over to, just one verse and look at, that I think helps us to understand this idea a little better, is 1 Peter 3, verse 7. It says, Likewise, ye husbands, dwell with them, it's talking about your wife, according to knowledge, giving honor unto 
The wife is under the weaker vessel and is being heirs together of the grace of life that your prayers be not hindered. Now, I have often heard it said by men, well, I just don't understand women. Well, good thing is you don't have to understand women. You just need to understand one woman, your wife. So he says, dwell with your wife according to knowledge or understanding. So you may not understand how every lady in the world works. That's fine. Now, I think probably most ladies understand how all men work because there's not much to us. Pretty simple-minded, you know, simple human beings, right? They say, well, ladies are complicated. That's okay. God made them that way on purpose. Because I don't know about you guys, I come home every day and I look at my wife and I say, your job is way harder than mine. I never want to trade jobs with you, ever. Because when she leaves for like a day and is gone somewhere, I'm doing well just to get the pizza ordered and keep everybody alive, you know? And no, it's not always perfect at my house when she's running things, but there are many days I can come home and the kids are, you know, fed and clothed and they actually ate nutritious food. And she planned a grocery list for what needed to be bought for the meals for the next week. And she got some cleaning done and she educated my children so they're not, you know, uneducated beings that don't know anything, right? She... And she can still smile. Like, like, how did she do all that? That's impressive. Now, it's easy, man. I know there are things that your wife will do. It just frustrates. Oh, I don't understand. Why is this? Somebody said, men are like waffles and women are like spaghetti. Men are always in one box or another. You know, you're either in this one little spot in your waffle and you're just kind of sitting there for a while and then you jump over to another box and now you're in this other box and you're making uh, decisions and you're kind of one-track minded. Ladies, it's like spaghetti. It all runs together, right? That's why men, when you talk to your wife, she'll be talking here on one thing and then all of a sudden, wait, how did we get over there? And then she's back over here and you say, I thought we were talking about this. Oh, yeah, we were. I left that a long time ago. Keep up, keep up, yeah? You say, how'd this happen? Well, it's because it was all connected in her mind. And in fact, sometimes Shandy, with, you know, we're not the biggest experts in this, in this marriage thing. This is only 15 for us, and hopefully we have many, many more as God allows until the Lord comes back or until one of us dies. Hopefully that's a long, long time in the future. But there are times now when I'll say, okay, tell... Let's trace this line and see how, how we got over here. And she'll help me, and I'll say, oh, okay, I see how you, I thought it was a giant leap of logic, because, see, I had to move to another box. For her, she's good. no, it's all connected. That's okay. That's okay. We were figuring it out this week. This is our 18th Valentine's Day that uh, we've been kind of a thing, you know, 15 of those married and three before we got married. So I said, our love is now finally old enough to vote. So I guess that means that's why I'm preaching on it this morning. I finally, after 18 years, you know, I have something to say about it, okay? No, I still don't have very much to say, but God has a lot to say about it. He says here, men, that we are to dwell with our wives according to knowledge. That means I need to know her. I need to understand her. 
I need to ask questions about what she's doing and understand how she's thinking. I want to understand her burdens and her fears and her hopes and her dreams and her desires and the things that are going on inside of her mind. I want to understand her. Why? Because God says I should. But also, because He says is we are to give honor unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel. This isn't saying she's weak. What it's saying is we, we treat her with special care, just like you would something that is easily broken. I've met some ladies like that, that I think their husbands didn't treat them with care. And they have some brokenness in them because of that. Men, your wife is a precious thing. Cherish her and love her and honor her. But why do we do this? Well, because we're heirs together of the grace of life. We're together. Oh, and by the way, he tags on the last bit of 1 Peter 3, 7. Just in case that wasn't motivation enough for you men, he says, that your prayers be not hindered. Wow. So if I'm not living in an understanding way with my wife and learning to understand how she thinks and acts and why she does what she does and helping her and giving honor to her as I should, you know, cherishing her, nourishing her, taking care of her, God says that my prayers will be hindered? Yeah. That's kind of rubber meets the road stuff there, isn't it? My prayers will not be hindered. So this is important. This is important. Here's the wonderful thing, and I want to go back to Ephesians 5 because to me, the more I study this passage, it really becomes clear in my mind when you look at it in the context of what God has called us to do as part of the Great Commission. The Great Commission, we know, is to go and make disciples, right? To evangelize the lost and, and to disciple them. They grow in the knowledge of Jesus Christ teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded unto you. And lo, I'm with you all the way, even unto the end of the world. Jesus sent out His disciples and sends us out into this world to make disciples, right? We talk a lot about discipleship and making disciples at our church, and that's an important thing because God says it's an important thing. I really think when you look at Ephesians 5 through that lens, that's exactly what we see. We see discipleship taking place or should be taking place what did Christ do for His church? He died for it. He sacrificed for it. The gospel. Then He has the purpose to sanctify it, to cleanse it, to help it become like Him. Men, we are to do the same things for our wives, to help them grow to be more like Jesus Christ. That's helping them to be better disciples of Jesus, to become a closer follower with Christ. So when you look at this marriage thing, this relationship that seems very complicated and it's a struggle for a lot of people, to me, when you put it in the context of helping somebody grow spiritually like a a baby Christian and growing towards spiritual maturity, to me at least, it makes a lot more sense. Oh, okay, yeah, there's going to be hard things along the way. Yeah, there's going to be disagreements and discouragements and frustrations, but here's the goal. See, if you don't know where your goal is, if you don't know where you're heading, you're never going to get there. Somebody said if you aim for nothing, you'll always hit it, right? 
And if the goal in marriage, just as the goal in all of the Christian life, is to become like Christ and to help others, right, to lead one, follow one, all of that, to take them in their relationship with Christ, and that you know the goal is Jesus Christ, yes, there's going to be some hard challenges along the way. There's going to be some difficulties, some ups and downs and left turns and right turns. We're trying to figure it out. But we can always put our eyes right back on Jesus, and it gives us direction of where we're supposed to go. What does Jesus do when people mistreat Him? He forgives. What does Jesus do for those who wanted nothing to do for, with Him? He still loved them anyway. What does Jesus do when His disciples did follow Him for a while, but then they denied Him like Peter? Jesus went and found them, loved them, and encouraged them, and restored them. What does Jesus do when we're struggling? He encourages us. What does Jesus do when we don't know what to do? He gives us answers from His Word to guide and direct our lives. And to me, men, when I put marriage into that context, it, it becomes a little more clear. Because sometimes it is a challenge. What am I supposed to do? Where am I going? How do I deal with this? I don't even understand women. What, what's going on? I'm helping her to draw closer to Christ. I love her. I pray for her. I encourage her. Help her. I, I confess my faults when I mess up. I ask for forgiveness when I've done wrong. I forgive her. I love her even if she's not always loving back like I want her to be. God desires to sanctify your wife just like He desires to sanctify His church. Do you desire to sanctify your wife? Is she closer to Christ, a better relationship with God because you're leading her to Him? In a sense, in the Great Commission... God has put us into the restoration business, right? We're to find lost, broken sinners and tell them about Jesus, who can save them, that they can have new life in Christ. And then we're to take that person and help to restore them and to cleanse them and sanctify them and set them apart as we teach them Jesus of who Jesus is and what His Word says so that they can grow to be more like Christ. Maybe some of you like to watch those restoration shows on TV where they take old cars or old motorcycles or old houses or old anything and they fix it up and they clean it up and they restore it and they make it brand new and make it in working order again. And people always enjoy the before and the after. But have you ever been to the shop of somebody who works in the restoration business? What does their shop usually look like? It's a mess. They've got broken parts all over the place. They have dust on the floor and equipment piled everywhere. That's kind of, I think, of a picture of what marriage looks like sometimes, right? It's dirty. It's messy. It's a struggle. There's a lot of pain. There's even some blood, sweat, and tears that go into it. It's a hard path. You've you have something that starts out and... You know what it could be, but it's just not there. 
And you see what it could be because of what the Bible says, but you say, how are we ever going to get there? I don't know how to restore cars. If you brought an old piece of junk to my house, a year from now it would still look the same, only worse, right? I don't know how to restore old things. I, I've never been taught those things. And sometimes that's how we view marriage too. I, I just don't know what to do. I haven't been taught. That's why God has given us His Word. Because if you really cared about restoring your old motorcycle, you would go online, you'd find videos and tutorials, you would download uh, directions and you would talk to people who have done it before and you would go visit other people that were restoring old motorcycles and you would spend your time and your money and your effort. Why? Because you have the finished product in mind. You know where you're headed. Yes, it looks like junk now. And I've visited those guys. I've been to their shops. I've been in their garages. And I see it and they pull up this tarp and they say, yeah, there it is. You go, looks terrible. They say, oh, but look, and they'll pull up the hood. Look what I've already done. You say, still looks terrible. <laughs> well, I've changed this out. I've got this working. Look, it even turns on now. You know, finally comes to life. And you say, oh, it's still rough. They say, well, you don't understand where I found it. I pulled this out of the junkyard. It, you couldn't get anything out. You'd turn the key. Nothing would happen. I've replaced this. I put this in and... Over time, as that restoration project goes on, what happens? You start to see a few newer parts coming in, some things getting cleaned up and fixed, and all of a sudden something's a little shinier and something else seems to work. And little by little, it's better and better. That's the way it is in discipleship, isn't it? Many of you are involved in discipling other people. You know what I'm talking about. They get saved, and you're thankful because now they have new life in Christ. But when you get under the hood, it's still a mess, isn't it? They have life, but now they've got to be sanctified and cleansed. They've they got to grow. And so you get under there and you work and you teach and you invest your time. Sometimes they bite you back. Sometimes there's some pain along the way, but you keep coming back because why? You have God's Word as your guide. You have Jesus as your goal, and that's where you're and the Holy Spirit to help you, and that's where you're headed. Marriage ought to be no different. The only thing is, instead of the men stepping in, we know everything, we have it all figured out, we're taking our wives, in a sense, we're both having that restoration work being done to us both at the same time. But the men have a responsibility, according to God's Word, to lead out in that process. So that means I've got to let God change me. Because if I'm not allowing God to change me, then I'm going to have a really hard time helping my wife to change. And that's often where it stops, isn't it? Where the wife has to get a bypass. She's hungry for it. She needs it, but the man's standing in the way. And you have friction in the marriage. Or the man begins to grow and the wife says, I'm not ready to come along. All those things cause friction in the marriage. Or you have two that refuse to both follow God. You have friction in the marriage. The only way it really works is when both equally together are following after Christ as the man chases after the Lord and as his wife follows along with him. And then what happens at the end of those restoration projects? Finally, one day, after it seems like it took way too long, they have the big unveiling. And that vehicle comes out, it's shiny, it purrs, has that great sound in the exhaust, whatever it is that you're going for. It's been restored. And once it's restored, is it over? No. Then they still take care of it, still clean it, still 
change the oil, still do all those things. Why? Because now you've got to continue to maintain it. A marriage, in a sense, is a restoration process. Because we're all broken sinners. We all need Jesus to do His work in our heart. But men, as we can lead our, our wives to Christ, we can help them grow in that process as we grow ourselves. Maybe someday. Maybe it's not today. That's okay. But hopefully you're stepping in the right direction. But as you and I both know, in restoration projects, things don't always run smoothly like we expect. I've been to a lot of people's houses and they pulled up the tarp and they say, well, I got started on this and things were going pretty well and then I ran out of time. I got busy doing something else. Or something else came along and I had to put it away for a while and while it sat, it got worse, right? The squirrel moved in and made a nest under the hood, started chewing up wires and messing up things and now I got to start over and fix those things again. Marriage can sometimes be like that. That's why it requires a consistent Daily walk with the Lord to become closer to Christ. And when you fail, when you mess up, run back to Him, ask for forgiveness, and remember Christ is the goal. We're heading to Him. Notice as I close the beautiful benefits of this marriage. Verse 30 says, For we are members of His body, of His flesh, and of His bones. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and shall be joined unto his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let every one of you in particular so love his wife, even as himself, and the wife see that she reverence her husband. Remember, ladies, I said it, it all come back and you'll still see your part in the end. It starts out, wives submit to your husbands. It finishes with wives reverence your husbands it's kind of bookends on the end because again think about this in a discipleship context right you have one person who's growing spiritually and helping to lead the other person who should be growing and following spiritually but if the person who's leading isn't doing their job the person who's following won't be able to grow with them will they and if the person in, who's leading spiritually is trying to teach and train, but the person who's following is not submitting to that spiritual encouragement and help and growth, then the person who's following who should be submitting, the wife in this context, is not going to grow as she does. So it's both working together. Ladies, submission is not a curse. It's an opportunity to have a blessing from God. It's a blessing every week. We, I, had, I had fun yesterday morning. We got up early and we had a men's breakfast and had that. Well, before that, I got to meet with Eric. Eric Dominguez and I meet every week as much as possible. We study God's Word together. Well, I'm supposed to be the one teaching him. But guess what often happens? He asks really good questions and I think, man, that, that's challenging. I need to think about that. And so I end up learning things. And guess what? He ends up learning things too. A couple of weeks ago... We were sitting there studying. He looked up at me with big eyes and he said, this is like an, a eureka moment for me. I, I never understood that particular thing from God's word before. That makes a whole lot of sense. Yesterday, he made a very profound statement. He said, I've realized that most people in this world, when it comes to their relationship with God, they're content to be a follower and just kind of watch from a distance. But Jesus really wants us to be disciples. I thought, wow, 
He gets it. That's challenging. But see, Eric can only grow if I'm being, well, not only, but I've got to be faithful to help him grow, right? And then he has to be faithful to follow along and submit to that teaching so that he can grow as well, right? It's both working together. It's discipleship. Marriage, I would argue, is no different. It's the same thing. And the goal is Christ-likeness. So a marriage that is pleasing to God is a benefit for the wife. Love, protection, the encouragement of her husband, and a closer relationship to God. These should all be true in a healthy, godly marriage. It's also a benefit for the husband, honor and respect of his wife, and a closer relationship to God for himself. Because that's where they're both growing together. But I think it's also a benefit to others. Whether it's others in this church or in this community around us. Why? Because it's the opportunity for this world to see in a human relationship the glorious love for Christ that He had for His church. The glorious love of Christ for His church and the power of the gospel on display for the world to see. That when God comes into a life and changes a life, He nourishes it. He cherishes it. He sanctifies it. He sets it apart. He can take broken things and He can restore them into beautiful things. He can take dead things and make them into things full of spiritual life for His glory, for our good, and to be a blessing in this world that we live in. And He can take broken marriages and do the same thing if we'll follow His plan. And He can take your marriage maybe that hasn't even started yet because I know some of you are in that position and if you'll follow him he can use it to bring glory to himself to be a blessing to this world and to be an encouragement to both you and your spouse may we honor God and walk worthy in our marriage according to what he's told us to do and I want to pray for you this morning and I want you to pray for me this morning because as I preach this I can't stand up here and say I got all this down None of us can. I need your prayers. We need each other's prayers. And we need to all walk with God. And there are struggles and there are difficulties and there are pains and there are hurt right even in this room this morning. And that's why we have, it's a beautiful thing to have a church where we can love one another, encourage one another, and point one another to Christ. Because there's going to be mistakes. There's going to be sin. There's going to be struggle. There's going to be difficulty along the way. It's not always victory every day is it but we've got to keep our eyes on the goal which is Christ let's pray father help us to keep our eyes on you I pray for strength for the marriages that are already in existence represented in this room this morning pray that you'd encourage each spouse to live their lives according to your word. Lord, I pray for the marriages in this room that, or or people in this room that have not been married yet, that you are not currently married but would like to be married. Lord, I pray that you'd work in their hearts and lives, that they would commit themselves to following your plan and not compromise or exchange what looks to be good 
for the truth of your word. Lord, I pray for those in here this morning that may be struggling in their marriages. Lord, while it may seem impossible to fix, they would begin by examining their own relationship with you. Say, God, whatever it is I need to change, help me to do right. And Lord, please work in the heart of my spouse. Help me to be the kind of partner in this marriage, whether it's the husband or the wife, that you want me to be, so that I can point my spouse towards you. Lord, help us as a church as we walk through these situations with one another, as we pray for one another, as we encourage one another, as we lift each other up when we've fallen, that we would do it because we desire to please you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Let's take a moment to stand to our feet. The piano is going to play a song. If God's spoken to your heart this morning. Maybe you and your wife want to come and rededicate your marriage to the Lord. Maybe you want to come and pray and confess something to God this morning. Maybe you're here this morning and say, I'm not married or I am. That's not really, that's beside the point. I need to have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ myself. I need to be saved. If that's you this morning, would you come? Take a moment. Keep your heads bowed and eyes closed. People can respond in privacy before the Lord.